why don't we just read a scripture uh, about I am? That uh, I, I would like to read two places. One is chap- uh, John, the Gospel, chapter 6, 35. John, the Gospel, cha- chapter 6, verse 35. Okay, I read it. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So to be honest, I am the bread of life appears three times in this chapter. And the second one, I'm going to read it, is 648 to 51. 648 to 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes from, comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Amen. It's kind of wobbly downstairs. All right. Uh, this book uh, is on the gospel, right? How many gospels do we have in the Bible? Four. So we know that three of them we call is the Synoptic Gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then how, why do we need so many Gospels? Four. Is four enough or do we need some more? We have three. Synoptic means the same, same optic, same view, same perspective. So most of the times you will see identical you know, events and teachings in the book of Matthew and Mark. Almost say 90% you know, identical, the uh, events in the Matthew and Mark, but now we have John. Then, uh, why do we need John? So, what I'm trying to do this morning is to, to you know, to the meaning of this book, we're going to think about it in the context. In the context. So, for instance, this is book written by John, the Apostle, so according in, according to the tradition, he said that he's the youngest of the disciples. Not because he's the youngest, but he died a natural death. Only disciples that had a death, natural death. All the others were persecuted, and then they died. They were killed by Roman emperors. I'm sorry, I thought someone was talking to me. So okay, so John, he was the beloved. And he was one of the three inner circles that Jesus, you know, used to have close relationship. And then by the time John wrote this book, is at least after after fifty years that Jesus died. Are you with me? So this book is written at least after fifty years, Jesus died. So Jesus died already, half century. And then now. There are books about Jesus, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now, this book, John. And John, he himself, he suffered because, you know, during this time, he was, he was persecuted and there, there was a Christian persecution. And it wasn't just verbal, it was just abusive persecution. It was a life threat as well. So, Emperor Domitian, a Roman Empire, he started to persecute the Christians severely. And then, John himself, he was in boiling oil in Rome. The tradition said he got no harm at all. Because of this event, many people in the Colosseums, they witnessed Jesus' power, and then they converted. But he was sent to Patmos. 
And then that's where he wrote the book of Revelations. And later on, it seems that he moved to Asia Minor, which is efficient. Ephesus, modern, uh, modern Turkey, and then he spent his uh, rest of his life. And then he wrote book of Revelation in Patmos, and then John the Gospel, and then first and second and third John. So this is not synoptic gospel, which means the gospel of John is different from other books. And that, why is that different? I think that's one of the main things. We can't think about it this morning to understand I am statement. Okay, so one of the significant things happening during John's time is there was a harsh persecution on Christians, but there was Christian persecution during, you know, Neronian Empire, Nero, but not in everywhere, Roman Empire. But uh, persecution was mainly in Rome during the time of Nero, but now it's widespread persecution, especially in Asia Minor where John was ministering. And one of the biggest thing is Roman Empire. Roman Emperor, they forced people to worship and they offer the sacrifices to himself. Are you with me? So they are deities. They said that they are to be worshipped. And then Christians not free from worshiping. But Jew, Jewish people, they were okay. It was okay for them not to worship, not to bring the offerings to. Roman king, because they were exempt from these things. But Christians are different. So uh, you can find so many things, a certificate of your offerings to Roman king, Roman emperor. So, for instance, if you are living in Asia Minor, one of the biggest cult is to worship the emperor. And then uh, you are forced to offer the sacrifice to Roman emperor. That when you do this, it's okay. And then the officers will give you a certificate, and they say that this person has offered to king, you know, someone, someone. And then when you have this certificate, it means you are safe. Are you with me? So during this time, during this time, uh, John here wrote the gospel. So one of the other you know, different things compared to synoptic gospel is eternal life. So in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, you will find the repeated theme or idea is kingdom of God, kingdom of God, because Jesus said that the kingdom has come near. And the kingdom of God is one of the repeated themes, but there is a word we can find the kingdom of God in the book of John, but mostly it's eternal life instead of kingdom of God. Does it make sense to you, looking at the circumstances? Okay, that's the setting of this whole book. Then uh, we have seven wonderful, seven I am statements in the book of John. And then we don't find this I am, specifically I am the bread, I am the life, you know, quite often in other Gospels. So this is a very unique part of John the Gospel. Mm-hmm. And this I am statement is not just new because I think you remember the I am statement appeared in the book of Exodus. If you're with me, book of Exodus, and the Jewish people, they were persecuted by the uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And then God called Moses and then said, you are going to lead my people out of slavery. And Moses said, this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Can I just read it out? 
Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me too. So the question is, Moses was given a, a mission that he's going to lead his people to the promised land because Egypt was a transitional place, transitory place for them to dwell, but the, their purpose is to go to the promised land. And then they should be released. But uh, in the ancient time, the perspective they have for the word is that there were reasonary gods. So, for instance, in Egypt, there were god of Egypt, national god and local gods. And then in the promised land Canaan, there is another god who occupied the land. So, for instance, for Israelites to move from Egypt to Canaan means they have to live out of the control of the God of Egypt, and then they are moving into the new territory, which was governed by, governed and controlled by Canaanite gods. So it's a big challenge for them. Are you with me? So it wasn't just a living home, but it's moving into different spiritual atmosphere, and then they were afraid. So that's why in the ancient times, so many people, they tried to please God because of the fear of punishment. So if Moses is saying, okay, we are going to the promised land, and people say, why? question is, how, how on earth can we do that? How on earth we can be free from the God of Egypt, and then we can enter into the promised land, not by being punished by the local gods who was already there. And then Moses is asking, so what, shall I do? what shall I say to my people? And God says, I am who I am. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, in the beginning there was God. It's a very, very different idea and perspective of who God is in the ancient times. So what Moses is saying to his people, what he has to speak to his own people is the God who was from the beginning to the end, the God who is the creator of the entire universe. When most of the other gods in Egypt and Canaan, the gods were created God. But God is not, Yahweh God is not created. He was a creator, the ultimate three one living God. So I am, this I am statement, statement means everything. I am means everything. So after that we know that there were ten plagues. Ten plagues. When you read the book of Numbers, it says, God has judgment on every God's in Egypt for the plagues. So it wasn't just natural disaster, but it was a spiritual warfare and God's demonstration against the Egyptian gods that I am is the real one true God. When they didn't know who God is, who's calling them, and that it's hard in their mindset. It's hard. It's not just a small little challenge. It's a big challenge. Maybe they won't be able to live home so that's why I think I am statement is very, very significant and important. So this I am statement, I think Jesus is kind of adapting, using the familiar concept of I am. So in the book of John, we find seven I am statements. And then when Jesus is saying I am, I am, okay, these seven statements, 
is the first thing is I am the bread of life. That, that is the first one appeared in chapter 6. And I am the light of the word. I am the light of the word. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. Another one. I am the Lord. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and we go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the comparison, the, the hired men, they will run away when there are wolves coming against the sheep. And another one, we've done this already. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Again, another one is, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is connected straight after that. It says, those who don't bear, who doesn't bear the fruit, the branch is going to be removed. Okay? So when, you, when we look at the I am statement, one of the common things, all these I am statements has something to do with life. And that even you find the word life and conditional statement, for instance, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Door. Only those who enter this land will be, he will be saved. Good shepherd. Only the good shepherd, he lays down his life to save the sheep. So all this I am statement has something to do with life. It's a, some kind of interesting thing, interesting fact. So when Jesus is saying I am statement, uh, it's in this one, in the first century is more likely, you know, 80s or 90s, toward the 90s. Uh, this was during the time of Roman Empire, and Roman Emperor, they were to be worshipped, and they said they set a lot of temples, especially in this region, Asia Minor. And the Roman kings, they were declaring that they are the god. And then the word savior that we use is the political term for them because savior was for the emperor, Roman emperor. It means save. And gospel means good news, good news of the Roman king. Maybe when they are born, it's a good news for them. But Jesus and Christians, they adapt this word. So when Jesus said, I am the savior, it's a very, very political term. And then it's direct comparison against a Roman emperor. So this I am statements, what Jesus is saying, that imagining that as a first century Christians, especially Jewish Christians, you face this uh, death penalty because you don't want to offer to emperor. And then the punishment is death. But what Jesus says, I am the door, I am the bread, I am the good shepherd, I am the vine, and my father is a wine dresser. He's going to cut off the branches that is not going to bear fruit. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the only way and the truth. And I am the light. So when Jesus is saying this I am statement is very similar to Moses that is dictating himself, 
to give a new perspective and who the real God is. Are you with me? Yeah, so I think that is, that is very, very common things. So these are the just general background of I am statement in the first century when there was a persecution going on in the church. Now, the whole, I try to look at this, you know, uh, verse in the context. And John chapter 5, there was a healing, Jesus healed. And then there was a healing happened. And then after that is chapter 6, when we find this, I am the bread of life. And when you read the chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. Passover. I think Passover is past. I think the last, uh, by the time of resurrection, uh, uh, no, Easter was Passover around Easter. So the whole setting is when it, the days are coming for the feast of Passover. And then Passover for Jewish people is a big event, right? Because there are three annual events that all the Jewish males, they have to go to Jerusalem no matter where they live. But this happened in Capernaum, which is a far northern part, uh, you know, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, they said. So coming to Passover is more than uh, Christmas to us, you know. Few weeks, even few months, oh, the Christmas is, you know, 25th of December, and then people started to buy, and people started to get prepared for the the. Christmas, but Passover is something like that because it's actually they have to travel down to Jerusalem. And this Passover time, and there are synoptic gospels, as I said, most of the events are very, very, you know, uh, uh, commonly appears, same events in the Matthew, Luke, Mark, but not in the book of John. But one of the events we can find, same events, is the feeding 5,000 people. And then during, when the time is coming to the Passover, and Jesus and people, they, they are on the top of the mountain and Jesus was teaching. And then Jesus, he asked Philip to test him, where can I buy the bread for these many people? And Philip answered, oh dear, even 200 denarii is not enough for these people, 5,000 people. So 200 denarii. A denarii is a person's one day wages. I don't know, maybe, is it safely just 60 pounds a day? No more wages, for instance. So 200 denarii means two month wages. It's not enough to buy the food for these people. So 5,000 people, and then Jesus fed these people, and then leftovers. The interesting thing is 6.15, it says, so people, okay, come back to that. Chapter 5, people witnessed Jesus' healing, and the Bible says, because they saw the signs, they started to follow Jesus. And they now, big crowd, and no food. But even there was a multiplication of food, another miracle. And 15, it says, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So people were fed, and they, they become more fervent and passionate. Oh, I follow you. Now let's make him king. This is what is happening. And Jesus withdrew. He took the boat, and he went to the other side of 
the Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And later on, he taught these things, 59. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Capernaum was one of the biggest you know, flourishing trade cities near Sea of Galilee by this, by this time, one of the major areas. And he was teaching in synagogue, which means mainly his audience was Jewish people when he was talking about this spread of life. So, when Jesus was talking about this, and people, just imagine that people were fed, and then they were looking after Jesus, and finally they find Jesus, and Jesus is saying that, I am the bread of life. And of course, we can easily guess, we need food for daily life. Everyone, we need food. Without food, we die. So, food is essential for our life. But, imagining that Jesus is teaching this in the synagogue to the Jewish people, bread. So, what does this bread mean? The first is where is near the Passover. If so, this bread is unleavened bread. Passover is when they, uh, you know, put the blood on the doorpost and the death, they pass over on the houses where, you know, when they uh, paint the blood. So they were saved, they were delivered. But they were not allowed to have just normal bread, but it was unleavened bread because of urgency, because there was not enough time to make the bread, you know, to, how can I say, east, east to work. So, during the time of Passover, for seven days, they were not allowed to have any leavened bread. Even in modern Jew, you know, modern Israel, you cannot find any yeast in Jewish store, Jewish supermarket, Jewish household, because they have to get rid of it before Passover. So, toward, toward the season of Passover, when Jesus was talking about the I am the bread of life, if you are Jew, if you and I were Jew, and maybe the first thing we think is, oh, this is unleavened bread. Unleavened bread means the day of urgent deliverance on Jewish people for those who believed in him. So this bread is not just daily food, but this is a reminder of how God urgently delivered his one people when they obeyed. And... I, I read the second part of, uh, you know, I am the bread of life, and then I just read it again. It's chapter 6, 48 to 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna, ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is a bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. So another thing, when we, when we think about bread in the Old Testament time, is another Bread we can think about is manna. The manna, after Exodus, you experience this urgent deliverance of God. And then a living bread is for the day of Passover. And then we have manna, which is daily provision. So every day, they didn't farm, but they had a bread. They had a daily life resource. But only amount for the day. Because when you have more than a day's portion the leftover, it corrupt. You couldn't keep them alive. But on only the Sabbath, 
the day before Sabbath, you can you gather the two portions, and then the two, double portion went from heaven, and then they kept it over. And on Sabbath, it didn't rot, it didn't corrupt. Which means, how amazing is that? Same thing coming down from heaven, and then only on day on Sabbath, the the food left over never got go wrong. So this manner is completely a reminder of God's daily provision for their life. So God provided them for the daily life. And another thing is when you picture the tabernacle in the wilderness, you remember the table of bread in the tent. The tabernacle itself is for God's dwelling place. The, the first room is called the holy, holy room. And in the holy room, there is a table and then there's a uh, presence of bread. And then 12 bread, unleavened bread, should be represented in the holy place. These 12 bread are the representation of 12 tribes and then should be unleavened bread. On every Sabbath, the priest, they replace this bread and then they eat it. But this dwelling place, tent of meeting, uh, the tabernacle is God's dwelling place. And then know that God's presence is in them. So in, next to God's presence, Holy of Holies, the 12, these are 12 tribes. And then this is a reminder of a relationship in the living God. Relationship with God's chosen people. So all this bread, Passover, is a reminder. Reminder of God's urgent deliverance. And manna is daily provision. And presence of bread, table of bread, represent and they have living relationship with God. Okay, I want to go back to the first century. Uh, okay, first century again, Christians, they were forced, specifically in this region, they were forced to worship the Roman emperor, and then they were supposed to offer the sacrifices. And then you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. Because you know that that is idolatry. But the punishment is death. Then how are you going to... S- deal with this. Life and death issue sometimes. So in the first century, when Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, he's, what he says is, this bread is a bread for the eternal life. This bread is different from manna. Because this is what it says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So, the fathers of the Jewish people, when they are in the wilderness, they experience God's deliverance, and then they experience God's provisions, but that was transitory. That was only transitory. And then Hebrew chapter 2, 3, three 4 also says, the rest, they try to get in, which means the promised land, the Canaan, is temporarily, temporarily rest. That's not real rest. The real rest is in heaven. So Jesus, when Jesus is saying that I am the bread of life, is a reminder that Jesus himself, something like unleavened bread, on the day of uh, Passover, Jesus is urgent deliverance. He can deliver his people urgently. Like, like that happened in the, in the time of Egypt. And then Jesus, he can provide daily provision like manna. 
And at the same time, because of that, they can have a living relationship with God in the presence of God. In the presence of God. But when we look at, when we read the book of Hebrews, the tent in the wilderness, this is a sketch of what is going to actually happen in the heavenly places. So tent in the wilderness, there was a dwelling place, God's holy of holy. And in the heavenly place, the book of Revelation, because John, he wrote the book of Revelation as well. In the heavenly Jerusalem, he said, in the heaven, there was a cubic size, big mega city, Cubic was holy of holies is a cubic five cubits with length height, and book of Revelation as well. The heavenly Jerusalem is a cubic size, which which uh, implication is God's dwelling place, God's holy presence. So table of bread, the bread of twelve disciples, twelve tribes. Like the 12 tribes that were chosen by God, when they had a faith in God, we're going to stand in the holy place. Not on earthly place, but in heavenly places. So this is all about life. This is not about food. This is not about the resources, the strength. This is about life. But what is true life? What is a real life? I think that's why all these I am, seven I am statements have a direct connection with the word life. So, bread of life. This is the first one. I don't think this is more important than other seven statements, simply because it's the first one. But, bread of life is just opening us to the invitation to think about not just for food, not just for the resource for our physical body, but as a resource for our eternal lives. Eternal lives. So it's a lot more than daily proportion. It's a lot more than just, you know, the reading on the Word of God. Then, what about us now? Because we don't have death penalty. Um, sadly, my people in North Korea, if they are Christians, they still have death penalty. But I'm South Korean. Can I just say, lucky enough that I was not born in North Korea. But do we have similar challenges? What kind of challenges we have these nowadays? Is there any other things like Roman Emperor that is forcing us to offer sacrifice? Sacrifices rather than God himself. We don't have Roman Emperor. We're not afraid of Roman Emperor anymore. But what are those Roman emperors in our modern days? Is that money? Is money forcing us to worship? Is that success? Is that fear? Is there anything that is enticing us to take our eyes off from God for more security, for more safety? Do we have Roman emperors in us, even still in these days? Or we are completely free from it? Or we are free to worship 100% only to Jesus? I see a lot of challenges, even uh, my children, children out. 
especially when I look at them, I see a lot more challenges than me in them. Staying most of a daily time in school, and then living in Christian community, Ruah's age was no no fear, and no doubt at all. He they absolutely believed in God, hundred percent, no doubt. And then Ruah, even at school, when a boy fell off, and then he can oh don't worry, don't worry, uh, I have Jesus in me, I can pray for you, and then Jesus is going to heal you. So this very innocent faith, but now I see many questions rising up in my girls, especially teenagers. The reason I can see the challenge easily because all the other friends around are different. There are so many things to worship, so many things to worship. I mean, me same as well. Then the, we are not having death penalties for this worship, but. Maybe we have, because we don't feel it on a daily basis. Maybe we slowly die. We are slowly dying if we keep worshiping these things. So then, if Jesus, he's the only resource. He's the only thing we need to look for, for our eternal life, for our eternal rest. So, I just read this passage again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one eat of it, so that one may eat of it and not die. So, but just just thinking about all the first century Christian background, and then I just read these seven items once again, and then think where we're at. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and we go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who be, who lives and believes in me shall never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And my father is a vine dresser. Yeah, dear God, uh, thank you so much because you become everything for us. You are everything, not just for transitional, uh, transitionary, transitory comfort, security, but for the eternal life and if eternal satisfaction, God. So, dear God, help us to be awake, awake to worship you alone. When so many things are going crazy and so many things become uncertain and sure in modern days, God, we don't want to stay in our fear of anxiety and then we lose outside of you. But we rather focus our eyes on you and say that you are the deliverer, like unleavened bread, and that you are the you are like the manna become daily provision for us. And then uh, that invitation is for us is to have relationship with you, God. 
So we say thank you so much for your love for us, your sacrifice for us, because you died and we are living. Even though you may face difficult situations, but we know that there is eternal life. So we honor your name and then we thank you for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.